Uh, how many people are at IMS for the first time? There's quite a few. Good, welcome. Great. Um, well, we've been coming out here for quite some time. Um, with IMS, as you sure well know, it's been around for, well, it's, it's closing in on 30 years. And they've been running these retreats, lots and lots and lots of retreats for those 30 years. And all three of us have come out here uh, both as uh, retreatants and as teachers for, for quite some time. One thing IMS does, I think, very well, and they've refined it over the years. We've got an excellent staff, and we're very well taken care of during this retreat. And what they do is they, so much energy, you can't imagine, I don't think, unless you've worked here, just how much energy and effort it takes to create uh, this kind of sim simple environment that we're going to be living in during the next seven days. I mean, it's amazing, really, uh, just how much brain power and, and people power it takes to, to create these conditions. Uh, and, and the conditions are specifically designed to support this continuity of attention. You know, I live in the city. We all live, both Matthew, Larry, and myself live in the city. Uh, around a lot of busy people, and, and we certainly are very, very familiar with city life. And in many ways, we love city life. Um, it's also extremely demanding, um, very complex. We work with a lot of people who are uh, obviously under a great deal of stress. Life is very complicated and fast-moving. People are getting very good at, quote, multitasking. Um, so, life gets very busy and quite full. And coming out here, it's quite a bit different, actually. Uh, the structure, if this is your first retreat, you'll certainly see when you walk outside and you be outside this room and you check out the bulletin board, you'll see that life has simplified considerably. Um, there's not really that many things that we do uh, during the day. We kind of sit, we walk, uh, we eat, do our yogi job living in the country, people cook for us. Life is very, very simple. What we want to do during the next seven days is, you know, realizing that this is kind of an artificial environment in some ways. It's not what our everyday life looks like. It's not what our life looks like out there, and I don't think it's what your life looks like out there either. Uh, but what we want to do is kind of take advantage of the conditions that we have. All of you have worked very hard, paid a lot of money to come, and, um, you know, take advantage of your seven days here. You know, enjoy the simplicity. You know, one suggestion, one opportunity, anyways, to do is just to begin to slow down a little bit. You know, we, we get used to moving at a certain pace. And one very nice thing about retreat life is it doesn't necessarily have to be hurried. Now, obviously, you need to be able to do your yogi job efficiently and keep to the schedule and be prompt in the hall and all of that kind of stuff. But, you know, you don't have to push. You don't have to hurry. You don't have to put a lot of pressure in yourself. And so that gives us a chance to kind of settle in, to begin to take every activity that we do. Even though this doesn't, in a lot of ways, look like everyday life, it's going to be our everyday life. We're going to be engaging in a lot of activities, a lot of daily activities, 
that we engage in out there too. Eating, cleaning up, going to bed, going to the bathroom, walking around, sitting. A lot of those activities, of course, we're doing out there too. But now's an opportunity. We talk a lot at CIMC about being mindful in your daily life. And it's kind of a hard thing to do. You ever tried it? It's very difficult to do. But here the conditions are really supporting you much more than out there. I know it. There's a lot of reminders on this retreat. And the reminders are really saying basically this. Begin to pay attention to what you're doing. Begin to pay attention to whatever activity you're engaged in at that time. That is, that's the practice. That's the message. Begin to settle in and become more present with whatever you're doing. The practice isn't just sitting, walking, doing yoga. It's really when you walk out of the hall, when you move around, when you go to the bathroom, when you go to bed tonight, take your mindfulness with you. It's kind of a non-doing practice. We don't need to necessarily accomplish a lot while we're here. What we want to do is settle into what we're doing. Become more awake and present and connected to things that you're doing during the day, during the evening. And I do think that the simplicity of the structure, simplicity of the environment can be extremely supportive in allowing us to do that. Now there are some guidelines for community life, because we are a community. For the next week, we are a community. It's quite an impermanent community. At the end of seven days, most of us go our own separate ways. But while we're living together, while we're practicing together, while we're retreatants, there are guidelines that are essential. Guidelines that make life at IMS quite distinct from other places. The big one, I think, well, certainly one, significant one is, of course, noble silence. Silence. So one strong recommendation is to pack that cell phone away. Stick it away someplace where you don't see it, you don't turn it on, it's just buried somewhere in the back, back of your suitcase. Because you want to maintain silence. It's one of the most helpful things that you can do for yourself during the next seven days. Obviously, you'll have a chance to talk to the teachers. There'll be group interviews throughout the week. But, you know, really enjoy the silence. You know, to me, it's delicious. You know, when I come into the hall this evening, and to come in and, and look at a sea of folks, you know, really wonderful people, all of us practicing together, and it's so silent already. Such a di different atmosphere than what we're used to. So enjoy the silence, but definitely keep it. Refraining from reading and writing is another guideline. I think that, again, makes this kind of a unique situation. Um, you know, put, put the reading and the writing uh, aside, because, of course, the emphasis on retreat life, the emphasis on this practice is to experience things very directly. You know, sometimes most of us come to practice because we read inspiring stories about other practitioners. We, we read a lot of Dharma. 
but this is a time for you to experience Dharma yourself in a very direct, personal way. And so putting aside reading and writing and simply settling into the present, take advantage again of the simplicity of the environment here. Something I think I wanted to just mention, um, I, I know the manager, I'm sure, laid it out pretty clearly, but we, we just want to kind of back that message up, which is, you, you know, there are quite a few people, and I think as time goes on, it's, it's, those numbers are increasing in terms of people's uh, sensitivity to chemicals, to fragrances, to scented products. And so you really do the person next to you. You don't know, you know, what the, next, the person next to you, what their situation is. So you really do them, it's, it's an act of generosity, you really do them a big favor, do everybody a big favor by, by you know, really minimizing that, you know, not, not, to, not to use unnecessary uh, fragrances or scented products. It's really a big help. For some people it can be extremely disruptive and really harmful, actually, to their health. So just to be conscious of that, obviously. Another important uh, aspect of this retreat, it's not just an aspect of this retreat that applies to just retreat life, but it also applies to every, everyday life also. Um, and it's uh, really at the, it's a fundamental um, teaching of the Buddha, which is, is learning to be more mindful, following ethical guidelines, um, both here on retreat and, and, and every, in your everyday life. Um, so there are basically five ethical precepts. And in, in the foundation of these precepts, they're based on they're based on non-harm. That's the essential principle underneath all the precepts. They're based on a recognition that we're not separate beings, you know, that we live in this world and we're very interconnected and interdependent. Really, as practice matures, we begin to see that more and more. We begin to recognize that truth, that we're, that we're connected, we need each other, we're, we're related to each other, uh, we're interdependent. And so when we harm somebody else, we harm ourselves. When we harm ourselves, we harm somebody else. And so to me, it's very compelling to begin to take up the precepts as a practice. You know, It's not like people get them perfect necessarily or that that that's even the goal, but it's, it's certainly to try to be more mindful and sensitive of your actions and what the consequences of your actions are. And I don't think this is any surprise or anything new to, to most of you folks out there. I'm sure you're familiar with the five precepts, but let me just go through the list, and then I'd like to just offer them uh, so that we, could, we can repeat them if you choose. Uh, the first precept is refraining from killing. Uh, living creatures and practicing compassionate action. Okay, it's essential. Second precept is to refrain from taking that which is not given and to practice generosity. Third precept is to refrain from using sexual energies unwisely or uncaringly and to re practice responsibility in all relationships. And in, in, in this particular context of retreat, of course, that means celibacy for, for this time during the next week. Uh, four is I undertake the precept to refrain from harmful speech and to practice kind speech. 
most of your practice is going to be in silence, um, but uh, obviously in everyday life, that's a, that's a very, very interesting and useful precept to undertake. Five, as I undertake the precept to refrain from the misuse of alcohol and drugs and to practice caring for my body and my mind. That's the fifth precept. And that, of course, doesn't, um, that doesn't, uh, this precept doesn't include medications and things like that that you need to take, that you're used to taking. I mean, I'm sure that's obvious, but I want to r remind everybody that um, please take the medications that you need to take. Uh, but again, it's misuse is what we're really focusing here. So what I'd like to do is repeat the first uh, precept, and it's up to you. Uh, I'd like to offer that so then you could just repeat after me. I undertake the precept to refrain from killing living creatures and to practice compassionate action. I undertake the precept to refrain from killing living creatures and to practice compassionate action. I undertake the precept to refrain from taking that which is not given and to practice generosity. Refrain from taking that which is not given and to practice generosity. I undertake the precept to refrain from using sexual energies unwisely. I undertake the precept to refrain from using energies unwisely or uncaringly and to practice responsibility in all my relationships. Or uncaringly and to practice responsibility in all my relationships. Or I undertake the precept to refrain from harmful speech and to practice kind speech. I undertake the precept to refrain from harmful speech and to practice kind speech. Fifth is, I undertake the precept to refrain from the misuse of alcohol and drugs. I undertake the precept to refrain from the misuse of alcohol and drugs and to practice caring for my body and my mind. And to practice caring for my body and for my mind. As favorable as uh, I see the conditions here for practice at IMS, uh, one thing I've learned over my 53 years is that it's actually impossible to create the ideal conditions. I've never found personally in my own life, anything that even came close to what I would call ideal. Um, and IMS, I don't think, is, is really, quote, the ideal conditions. There's always going to be something you know, that could be a little bit better. You know? And so, um, you know, there's a couple of examples. Is, uh, sometimes there's an adjustment to the food. You know, it's vegetarian, it's basic, I think it's excellent, but you may not. And so there's a bit of an adjustment there. Uh, the schedule obviously is an adjustment. You know, some of you might be used to getting up at 7 or 8 in the morning, and obviously that's not when our schedule begins. Uh, so there's an adjustment there. And just living in a community, you know, where we share bathrooms and share a common space. Um, there's, there's really sometimes quite a bit of adjustment that does take place especially if you're new. You know, if you've been around for a while, uh, you kind of know what to expect. You know, 
kind of what, what retreat life is like. You're used to it, you're familiar, you're comfortable with the environment, so it's a lot easier. But for the new folks, you know, it, it can be quite an adjustment uh, to be in, in this environment. And, and one of the things that we always encourage people uh, to cultivate on, on retreat and to really see up retreats as an opportunity to do that, which is to, to cultivate some patience. Patience is extremely useful. We'll probably talk more about that as the retreat unfolds. But we need patience out there, too. You know, we're constantly confronting provocative conditions, conditions that aren't, that aren't going our way. And patience can really serve you, help you be real, much more present, help you learn from the experiences that you're having, from the conditions that you're in. And so we really need to kind of take that practice of, of being patient with each other. Uh, let's try to be kind to each other. Um, you know, and those are practices. Uh, they, they might not come right away, uh, but to use the environment when you do find that the conditions don't seem quite right for you, somebody's getting in your way or somebody's moving too slowly or, you know, or, or developing views and opinions about the person's practice next to you. Um, soften, you know, become more present and cultivate that patience. If somebody gets a cold next to you or something, you know, we want to, want to cultivate that allowing energy, that allowing quality of awareness throughout the retreat. Very, it'll be, make it much more, it'll make it much easier uh, if you just see that the conditions that you're meeting are really practice situations uh, rather than something that has to be fixed or altered or changed. For the old yogis, for the folks that have been practicing for a long time, I do think one of the challenges that uh, one confronts is just how to be fresh in a situation that you know a lot about. You know, you know a lot about sitting, you know a lot about walking meditation, and many of you know a lot about retreat life. Uh, but then, how to come into this retreat you know, with that beginner's mind? You know, how to come into this situation open and fresh, and, and take each sitting. You know, not like uh, you're an expert, but really go into it. You know, it's a journey into the unknown. Let's staying fresh, staying open, staying present and connected, rather than, than expecting things to go a certain way or taking things for granted. So staying fresh. Uh, that's, I think, really one of the biggest challenges uh, for folks who've been practicing for a while. So just to remember that, if you, if you find that uh, you're losing that freshness, see if you can rediscover it. And of course, the, one of the nice qualities about mindfulness, that form of intelligence that we're going to be talking a lot about, is that it allows us to connect to the present in a fresh way. You know, and that's really the seeds of wisdom, that ability to see experience in the present moment in a fresh way. That, of course, is a very creative space and it allows for a lot of learning and transformation. And so we want to keep practicing that fresh quality uh, in our practice. That's about it for me. Uh, very happy to be here. Um, really a wonderful opportunity 
for all of us to practice together. Uh, you know, it, it, it's so rare that so many people are here to support you in your practice. You know, uh, you know, everybody's going to be working, you know, heading, heading towards freedom, heading towards liberation. And we're really all here to support you in doing that. Thank you. Many of you are new to IMS. Actually, in our experience, more than usual. There usually are a relatively small number who are new, and many more this time. Not bad or good, just true. Of those who raise their hand and are new to IMS, how many are also really new to meditation practice, Vipassana practice? Show of hands, please. Okay, so uh, it seems like many of you who are new have done some practice just elsewhere, either here. What I'd like to uh, launch tonight is the beginnings of our sitting practice. Much more will be said about everything that Michael was hinting at. Both of us emphasize a practice that includes every aspect of living. Uh, It doesn't feature sitting and walking to the point of, in a sense, disrespecting the rest of your life. So you'll find that's an ongoing theme. Uh, In terms of all of us being here together, uh, part of that learning that Michael was getting at Learning comes in different ways, not always in ways that uh, are streamlined or designed to teach us something. Uh, So when you have as many people as this put together, living together, moving together, uh, sometimes there is, of course, the support. You get discouraged, get bored, get tired of all the silence, you look around, we're all still here. And so, sometimes that gives you more energy. But sometimes we rub each other the wrong way. It's not all roses on a retreat. Some people just do things that irritate us. Maybe there'll be a sign that says, uh, please take one cookie the first time, and you see somebody cop two. But you can't say anything. Or someone's socks uh, don't match the rest of their outfit, or it could be most anything. And uh, one important aspect of living together is to learn from that living together. Uh, I practiced in Korea for a year in a monastery there, and they had an image which I have always found very, very useful. Let's say you have a big bucket of potatoes and you want to peel them. You can peel each potato one at a time, or you can just shake the bucket and everything rubs up against each other, and all the potatoes, in a sense, peel each other. That's what I'm getting at. But the only way in which it's valuable to be rubbed up against and to rub against is if you're willing to pay attention to your reactions in the spirit of learning rather than judging. 
It's about understanding, not about uh, good, bad evaluations, giving yourself grades on this or that, or when you do, seeing that. So uh, the challenge of learning is ongoing from the moment we wake up until we go to sleep. It's true that the priorities here, just look at the time spent, have mostly to do with silent sitting, walking, and then once a day, yoga. Uh, But there's much more to a day, even in a place like this. And so we're going to emphasize that. Uh, An advantage of that is that when you go home, the attitude that you can develop here of, in a sense, respecting everything that uh, constitutes your life in a given moment by being sensitive to it, paying attention to it, paying attention to your to yourself, what it brings up in you. Um, perhaps getting that attitude strengthened if you've been doing it, or even launching it if you've not been doing it. Uh, that can transfer into your, no doubt, more complicated and in certain ways more challenging interpersonal life when you get home. Uh, The sitting meditation and the general instructions uh, that Michael and I will be giving you are very, very simple uh, and basic. It comes out of the classical teachings of the Buddha, uh, the Satipatthana Sutra, Uh, central meditation teaching of the Buddha is about the four foundations of mindfulness. Learning how to be awake, to get to know, become more familiar with our bodies, with the feelings that come up as we meet the world and the world affects us through our sensory organs. We hear things, we see things, we smell things, and so forth. The mind itself, well, we're already in the mind when we get the feelings, but the different uh, array of characters that visit us in this mind space, whatever you mention, whatever comes up or has come up, we don't know what's going to visit us. If you read texts, they'll talk a lot about greed, hatred, and delusion. And that's true. If you listen to your mind, you'll see that a lot of what goes on is one or another aspects of that. The mind wanting something. The mind not wanting something. And the mind confused. But it also sometimes is quite comfortable with itself. It sometimes is very loving and generous inside. And it sometimes is quite clear, not confused at all. And all the children of those main states, sometimes called afflictive emotions, um, we're not telling you what to look for. We're telling you to be awake to whatever turns up, and you'll see the full range of your experience uh, presents itself. So that's the third foundation. And then beginning to see the nature of this mind-body process. And this evening, just one aspect of it, change and uncertainty. That is, whether you look at the mind or you look at the body, it's constantly changing. And it's changing in ways that are uncertain. It's not simply that it changes. It changes in ways that uh, we, we can't understand necessarily or control. 
how to get comfortable with that, how to see that at work, and to begin to see why there is value in seeing it. I mean, why bother? Why do we have to know that no thought stays forever, no mood stays forever, etc.? We'll go into that, of course, more as the retreat unfolds, and I think you all uh, already understand. Uh, those foundations, so it's getting to know the mind-body process and get, beginning to see the lawfulness that runs through anything that happens in the mind and the body, and particularly beginning to learn about how we bring suffering upon ourselves. And again, it's another very basic and simple teaching that we emphasize, the Four Noble Truths. If there is any kind of suffering, and it needn't be something dramatic, just a kind of a feeling of, of uh, uncertainty or um, incompletion, or you don't even have a name for how it feels, but you know that you're not feeling so good. That first truth is not is to know it. If, you, if there's something that is um, uncomfortable or oppressing on you, is a burden, or even hurts, do you know it? The second is to begin to learn about what brings this about. Why am I suffering right now? Do I want the food to be other than the way it is? Well, you can want the food to be other than the way it is, but it's going to keep being the way it is. Because we have a limit of so many different tastes as to how flexible we can be, try as we may, which we do. And is there an end to it? Uh, I mean this now from moment to moment, beginning to see that the instructions, beginning with the sitting in a few moments, enable us to relate, particularly to our mind, in ways that are new, especially if you're new to the practice. New ways of relating to the same experience that every human being has, you've never heard of meditation, or if you've been sitting for many, many years, or practicing for many years, um, you're going to be introduced to a different way of relating to what's happening to you. One where you neither grasp nor hold on, but rather become aware of. And see what difference that makes. And then, of course, the path. We've already the ethical principles kind of ethical refinement. Uh, a, a good deal of that is pretty easy on a retreat. I mean, there are subtle ways, but there, it is. And <clears throat> then the, 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 the path is mainly three trainings. Ethical refinement. Stabilizing the mind so that it's steady, concentrated, calm, clear. And then using that mind to see the lawfulness, to see into the nature of the mind and the body. <coughs> to begin with, we'll be using the breath quite a bit. Uh, we'll be using the breath as an exclusive object, and we'll begin to that this evening. And then some of you may wish to continue with the breath as an ongoing um, a kind of anchor or good friend, from which to become aware of the full range of your experience. Some of you will elect 
to drop the breath at that point after your mind becomes calm and just be with whatever's happening. We'll definitely go into that in more detail. Excuse me. Um, why yoga? And by the way, uh, I apologize, although we're happy to do it, is that this decision to include uh, what we're calling mindfulness yoga that Matthew will be teaching only happened this week. All the conditions came together. So you had no advance notice. You didn't bring yoga mats, probably. Uh, we'll have to improvise. Matthew has brought some yoga mats, but not enough, depending on how many people want to do it. Please understand it's optional. Uh, you may want to try it. Um, <clears throat> the form of yoga that Matthew will be teaching every day uh, is called mindfulness yoga. We're calling it that. It's based on what is perhaps more familiar to some of you who know the Hatha Yoga world or the yoga world as Vini Yoga. And it comes in, come, it's based on the lineage of Krishnamacharya and Desikachar. Those names may mean something to some of you. If it means nothing, don't worry about it. Um, what's unique about this lineage um, is that it puts a strong emphasis on skillful means, in Buddhist terms, upaya. That is, uh, the, the practitioner of yoga uh, in relationship to the teacher has some wish to, to accomplish something, some goal, some end. Uh, and that varies from person to person. Also, there'll be a certain capacity, physical capacity. Uh, age. Uh, some people are in very, very good shape, not, some not so much. And so those have to be taken into account. This yoga emphasizes shaping it to the needs of the particular person in front of you. Now, clearly when it's a group, uh, we, Matthew will do the best that he can as he watches you all do uh, the postures. Uh, but one thing that this way of doing yoga uh, is designed to do is that it's designed for meditators. It's designed for people who do extensive sitting, as we'll be doing, uh, particularly emphasizing aspects of the body that can make sitting less painful, that open the body up, the hips and so forth, strengthen those muscles that enable the spine to be erect so the breathing can flow freely. And since mindfulness of breathing is an important, and for some of you it will be one of the main meditation techniques you'll use during the seven days, at least try it, this form of meditation will enliven and vivify breathing. Because, to put it the other way around, I've been doing this form and uh, developing it as a kind of vipassana yoga, a yoga particularly for people who do this practice. It would be, uh, I think, just as useful for Zen and certain Tibetan practice. Anyone who sits for an extended period of time is in teaching, because I did it for many years but didn't teach it. Uh, so much, it seemed to me so much unnecessary pain 
of the body. There must be some discomfort and, and pain, of course, for all of us, no matter how much yoga or tai chi or whatever. But seeing that there seemed to be so much more than was necessary. Moreover, many, many people have faulty breathing, perhaps don't even know it. And it just makes the meditation instructions a little bit more difficult. Uh, not as joyful. If the, if the breathing is difficult, you don't, you're not attracted to it. You don't want to pay attention to something that's like that. So these particular uh, uh, asanas, physical postures, have been designed, they're simple, they all include coordinating mind, breathing, and body, all of them, uh, are designed to be in a sense of one piece with what we're doing here in the hall. Now, any reasonably competently taught yoga, and there's so many uh, brand names now, as you know, yoga is hot, um, will be helpful for if, you, if you're meditating. It will help, you'll feel healthier, you'll have more energy, and so forth. So I would say any yoga would be useful. And it's often referred to as a uh, useful preparation for sitting. I would suggest in this approach that, we're, that will be taught here, it's at least a preparation. But if you do it mindfully, it's not merely a preparation, it is the practice itself. Much as walking meditation is walking, emphasizing mindfulness, this will be bending forward, emphasizing mindfulness, and so forth. What kind of mind? You can even develop wisdom in it. What kind of mind are you, uh, are you bringing to the forward bend? Where is your mind as you do that? And so forth. I don't, would like to not say any more about that, uh, because I think if you want to try it, feel free to do it. Some of you may prefer to do no yoga. Fine. Or do your own form in your room or in the yoga room. It's okay. If you want to try it, I think you'll, uh, more useful than anything I can say, is uh, just start doing it and you'll see what I, what I was getting at. Uh, you've been sitting for a while. So I think it might be a good idea if you all stand, or if you want to, stand, stretch, move. Because we'll do not an overly long sitting, I don't know, 20 minutes or so. Okay, if we could all come to what is your arrangement this evening.
very important in the way in which Michael and I teach meditation is to emphasize the, uh, the body to sit erect, but also relaxation. I think tonight we'll just very briefly suggest that you assume what seems to be the best posture you can arrange your body in, so that the head, neck, and back are in a straight line. Chin uh, tilted downwards just a little bit. That helps the breathing. If you like, take two or three deep breaths, a little deeper than you usually breathe, but not forced. And then take a look at the body. We'll begin. Take a, a short moving a course through the body. If you like seeing the moving from the head, face, at your own pace, but this is just a very brief scan of the body. And if, if you see an obvious place of tension, pause for a few moments. It's not so much trying to relax that tension, but just being mindful of it, see what happens seems to often soften it or sometimes dissolve it altogether. And then move on. And so, as in any yoga posture really, an asana, mastery of it, and sitting is a posture, a yogic posture, originated that way. The standard is, is that posture stable? and also comfortable. (coughs) And at first, especially for some of you new, it'll be neither. But do what you can. Arrange the body in the most comfortable, upright, and steady posture that you can manage right now. Take a look at the mind, just briefly again. We've surveyed the body briefly. What mind are you bringing to the sitting? Excitement, anxiety. My goodness, so much silence, I'm not sure I can do it. Maybe it's something left over from work. I don't know. But just briefly look into the mind and see any particular mood that's coloring consciousness or a preoccupation. Not to do anything about it, just to see where we start.
And then let's all of us notice one obvious fact that each one of us in this room shares. Each one of us is breathing. Another way of saying each one of us is alive right now. Pick up the breathings. Many of you have been practicing already. You may prefer to attend to the at the nostrils or the abdomen, the chest. Some of you are doing a practice where it's awareness of the whole whole body breathing. But you pick where you feel you have the, the best chance of staying with the breath sensations that come up. The lungs fill up and empty, fill up and empty. You're very, very new to the practice. Just start anywhere. Start a good place would be either the tummy or the nose to begin with. And what we're attending to is not an idea. It's not an image. These are sensations. Energy. You can feel it. If you're at the nose, the soft tissue in the nasal passages registers some sensation as the air moves in and out. Same throughout the body. Say the abdomen. The lungs fill up and empty. There's an impact that this filling up and emptying has. So it's it's preconceptual, it's not an idea. It's a raw experience that comes about as we do breathing. We'll be emphasizing this simple practice, not necessarily easy for those of you who are rather new. The first few days of the retreat, encouraging you to come back to the breath again and again whenever your attention slips off the breath. You notice that you're caught up in some future that's not here. lost in some memory, entangled in most anything will do, seeing it and just gently returning to the breath without blame, without judgment or evaluation, just coming back. So this technique, if you want to call it that, is very, very simple. You're already breathing. See what that's like. As you sit and breathe, the world doesn't come to a halt. 
Thoughts come and go, moods come and go, there may be sounds. The body is always feeling one way or another. Let it all happen. We're not trying to push anything away or hold on to anything. So in the midst of this unfolding of the mind and the body, we've decided to feature one aspect of that process. Breathing in. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.